An ugly, ugly loss for the Indiana Pacers to the Portland Trailblazers at home. Their offense stalls. Their defense stalls. They can't win consecutive games. Again, what's going wrong? This team is so frustrated. We'll break it all down today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Tuesday, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Lockdown Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today, oof, 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 yikes, whatever word you want to use, Pacers lose at home to the previously four-win Blazers, who were on the second night of a back-to-back and it was yucky. This game was just ugly, right? The, the the word I used to describe the Pacers in this game was soulless, right? I don't think they played, like, awful. They got good shots. They missed a ton of open threes, including many that would have just sucked the momentum right back into the building. They couldn't hit them. They defended everybody but Jeremy Grant okay, but none of that matters. It doesn't matter what they did well. They lost. They did a lot of stuff awful, including most of their whole game on the offensive end. And they lose a game that they absolutely should have won. And they prevent themselves from getting momentum before a tough stretch of schedule. And they get through what I considered an important, cushy part of their schedule. Five games, mid-November, after a hard start, where they played Orlando, Atlanta, Toronto, Detroit, Portland, with three of them at home. Four of them at home. And they went two and three during that stretch. Tough, tough, tough week plus for the Pacers, capped off by this loss to the Blazers. What went wrong? Saying everything is always an exaggeration. That's not true, but it was. it's very strange to look back at this game and stop short of that, right? The Pacers' offense was dreadful. They got okay shots. They did well on their twos. They did awful from deep. Tyrese Halliburton hit three of his six threes. Jalen Smith, who got injured, potentially not great injury. Um, we'll talk about that later. Um, made one of two. Everybody else shot terribly. From the outside, right? Buddy Heald, one for six. Obi Toppin, one for four. Miles Turner, over three. Bruce Brown, one for five. For those of you not quick with the math, that means non-Tyrese Halliburton Pacer starters were three of 18 from deep. Halliburton passed a lot like he always does. He had 33 points. He had nine assists. He should have had like 15. He created a lot of good threes. The Pacers could not capitalize on them. Bruce Brown had an open three late that could have given the Pacers a chance to tie. Miles Turner had an open three late for the same thing. They did not go in. Off the bench, Ben Matherin from 3, 0 for 2. Aaron Neesmith, 1 for 3. Andrew Nemhard missed his only 3. TJ McConnell missed his only 3. That means the bench for the Pacers was 3 for 9 from deep. Atrocious shooting performance from the Pacers. That's a big part of their offense, and that really stalled them, right? So that's, that's thing one that went wrong for the Pacers offensively. They scored 110 points in this game. That is their third lowest total of the season. They're 0-4, which, first of all, it's crazy that they've scored only under 124 times, but they're 0-4 when they're under 120, which was the Chicago loss, the Orlando loss, the Boston loss, and now this one. I might have gotten one of those games wrong, uh, but I was looking at that earlier. They're 0-4 when scoring under 120. They scored 110 in this game. They had a 23-point third quarter and a 26-point second quarter and a 27-point fourth quarter. And they gave up 30-plus and three-quarters to Portland. If it weren't for the third quarter, Pacers would have gotten smoked in this game. Their offense was dreadful in this one. And the shooting is not the only culprit, right? They missed some open threes. They also turned it over 20 times 
in this game. Blazers are decent at forcing turnovers. Their defense isn't awful. It was 19th entering the night. But to turn it over 20 times against that team, you know, the Pacers won the rebounding battle, right? They should have, in theory, done well in the possession battle. Pacers took more shots and were only seven behind in the free throws. They should have been in control of the possession battle. Turner versus Aiton on the boards was important for the Pacers. That was not so – it was 13-8, to eight, right? I thought it would be about that. They didn't get killed there. They didn't get killed on anyone else on the glass. But they turned it over 20 times. That just can't happen for the Pacers. And so those two things in tandem, turning it over 20 times, a, shot, a possession with no shots, plus missing so many threes, they had no chance. Live and die by the three was perfectly on display in this one. And the Pacers' offense totally stalled out as a result. 58 points in the paint for the Pacers is pretty good, but they've been higher many times this season. It's not like their two-point shooting was lights out either. So why? Was the Pacers' offense bad? Some of it was credit to the Blazers, I guess. I mean, they were forcing these turnovers and pressuring the Pacers into making bad decisions. I just thought the Pacers played really sloppy. I hate to say it, just be lazy like that, but it felt like they were really sloppy. They couldn't get the ball popping the way they normally do. Right, Their most assists by any non-Halberton player was McConnell, who played 10 minutes, who came in for energy only and got the Pacers from down to tied with his energy. He was flinging it around. Nobody else could do that. Bruce Brown, three. Andrew Nemhard three. Buddy Heald, three. That was the non-McConnell-Halbert. Most assists by anybody. They were not moving the ball as productively as they have in past games, and so they couldn't play their style. They score lots of points. They get up and down. They couldn't do it, and they were so close so many times. This is not like a, 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 big, a reason they lost. This is just something that I observed. They were so close the whole game in margin, sometimes even ahead. You can look at the game chart of the lead on NBA.com. The Blazers' biggest lead was eight, right? The largest lead either team had the whole game was eight, and that was for one possession, which the Pacers hit a three right after. So most of this whole game, it was within a possession or two, right? And so the Pacers had a couple moments late in the third, early in the fourth, where if they had hit a three, they could have gotten to their biggest lead since the first quarter. And they were down, you know, seven right after halftime. And they were down at halftime by five. Tumani Kamara hit a three right before the halftime buzzer, right? If they had gotten their lead to five at any point in the second half, I think it would have been really deflating. I think that would have been huge to get the building into it. The crowd was not super loud in this one. I think that would have been huge to get the Pacers back into it, right? TJ McConnell provided this huge energy boost. Clearly, it was a little contagious. If they could have had that get to everybody from a big lead, that would have been huge. And it could not happen. They had so many chances in that early fourth to have that happen. And I know that's not, again, that's not the reason they lost. But just to have those opportunities not go their way, meant they could not get momentum in a meaningful way. 10 minutes, 51 seconds to go. Chance of the lead. Andrew Nemhard misses a three. 92-92. Isaiah Jackson misses, and Ben Mather misses a tip layup on the Pacers' next possession. And then they get the ball back. Halliburton misses a three. Then they get it back again, and they turn it over, right? Then, down two, uh, they tie it up with Aaron Neesmith. And he misses the free throw. That would have given him the lead. Then Buddy Heald misses a three. That would have given him a three-point lead. You get the gist of the picture I'm painting. They had a lot of moments. That was all until they were down by one when this game crossed six minutes to go. Right? They were right there, and they had all these chances to fling this game open, to give themselves the Pacers' chance of a high-energy fourth quarter where they look awesome on the offensive end and have a chance to get it done. And they could not hit the shots. They could not get the shot they wanted. They couldn't get him to go down. And that's going to happen. You're going to have nights where you miss shots, right? 
I firmly believe that every team will have two or three games a season that they just don't make anything and they lose. That happens. That's the NBA. But 20 turnovers, that has to be more under control for the Pacers. They cannot give the ball away that much. They cannot afford to lose the possession battle, especially against a team like that that does not have this enough talent to punish you unless you give them a ton of chances to do so. Right, So I think the Pacers' offense was very concerning in this game. The other thing about their offense that was weird is they like to get in transition. That requires getting stops. They couldn't stop the Blazers, who do not have a good offense. The Blazers, we'll talk about the Pacers' defense in a second. The Blazers hit half their threes. They were scoring well inside the arc. They were moving the ball pretty well, but only 20 assists on 40 made shots. That's not very good. They weren't passing it that well. They were just sizing up the Pacers and getting whatever they wanted. Jeremy Grant was balling. Malcolm Brogdon, ex-Pacer, 24 points. Some big ones late, seven assists. He did some good stuff. Aiton was 9 of 13. But Jeremy Grant was the answer. There's a lot that went into this win for the Blazers over the Pacers. I think the Pacers' offensive struggles were bad, but they couldn't get the stops to get out in transition. And that really changed the game as well. Their bread and butter was gone in that way. 13 fast break points total for the whole game for both teams. That's not the Pacers number or the Blazers number. Nine fast break points for the Pacers, four for the Blazers. In a game that had a total of 36 turnovers, there were 13 fast break points, right? It was an ugly game, an an ugly basketball game, but the ugly game favored the Blazers because they had a couple more reliable ways to score, and the Pacers could not punish them. Their offense absolutely stunk, and their defense wasn't much better in this one. Could not stop Jeremy Grant. Malcolm Brogdon killed them. What went wrong for the Pacers defensively? Their offense is gone. Maybe they can get some stops against a crappy offensive team. No, they can't. What went wrong? We'll talk about that here in segment two after we talk about the lovely people over at FanDuel. The weather's getting colder, but the NFL offers stay hot on FanDuel. Speaking of hot, the Colts winning streak in wild card position. How about that? My Vikings lose tonight on Monday Night Football. Brutal, but right now, New customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. How about that? $150 if your team wins. It's a $5 bet. That's fantastic. If you have been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time to get in on the action than right now. The app is super easy to use. They have a wide range of betting options, such as player props, spreads, over-unders, and more. Whatever your favorites are, you bet they've got it over on FanDuel. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season over on FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. Back here on Locked On Pacers, thanks for making us your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Mike Richmond at Locked On Blazers will have the winner's perspective from this ugly game. 114-110, Blazers beat the Pacers. And Andy Mike Richmond is the GOAT. You have to listen to Lockdown Blazers. He crushed it with Dame coverage this summer. He knows this Blazers team very well. You will learn a lot listening to Mike Richmond at Lockdown Blazers here in Pacerland. Pacers give up 114. It's not awful. That's not awful. They had a quarter giving up 18. They had a really good three the three last three minutes of the first quarter. Blazers didn't score. Right? There were some moments where the Pacers looked like a team that was building off of the defensive performance they had to close out the Pistons. Their first three quarters weren't very good against the Pistons. The fourth was. Uh, but they also had some moments where they looked atrocious on defense, giving up 35 in the second quarter to Portland, 31 in the fourth. They could not get stops when they needed it. And they couldn't string them together. Even when they did get a stop or two, it was never a consistent enough run to really stop the Blazers. Why? 
Well, they had a couple issues with their double teams, uh, specifically on Jeremy Grant and others. They didn't go to it for a while, and then there was one where Matherin didn't. This is just what it looked like from watching the tape and seeing seeing this happen at the game, where Jeremy Grant got Tyrese Halliburton one-on-one. I think Ben Matherin was supposed to uh, fly down and double team there, and he didn't. Immediately, Carlisle takes a timeout. Jeremy Grant scores. He's yelling. Uh, Matherin leaves the game for Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown was already at the scorer's table. So I think Bruce Brown was already coming in for Matherin, but that play was not good. And so that happened more than once. They, they were not sharp with that part of their defense. They were not sharp staying in front of Malcolm Brogdon, who drove to the basket and then drove to the basket again and again and again. He took 17 twos, 17 two-point shots in one game for Malcolm Brogdon. He took six free throws. He was just pounded into the paint, and the Pacers were struggling to stay in front of him. And he got better with the Pacers, funnily enough, at driving, right? He went from getting, like, no separation to, like, a half step on guys to, like, just shy of a full step. And that still happened in this game, but the Pacers couldn't deter him. No matter who they put on him, Malcolm Brogdon had little trouble getting to a spot. He wasn't, like, an awesome finisher. He only made nine shots. He was a minus six. He didn't play, like, the greatest game, but he played good enough to really break the Pacers' defense. And a Blazers team that stinks at shooting, they don't like to shoot, and the Pacers like to prevent threes. The Blazers only took 18 threes, which is insane. They took 18 threes, and they made more threes than the Pacers. That's how bad the Pacers shot the ball in this game. And kind of, you could say, how hot Portland was. They made their first three. I think they were five of their first seven after one quarter, nine for 18 for the game. Plus, they got to the foul line a bunch. They were doing a great job getting their baskets at the rim. But the player that really made this a, a problem for the Pacers defensively, was Jeremy Grant. He was fantastic uh, all over the floor. 12 for 18 from the field. He had all three of his threes. He made all seven of his foul shots for 34 points on 18 shots. Seven rebounds, three assists, three blocks for Grant, plus three and a four-point win. The Pacers could not stop him. They had to try doubling him. They tried putting bigger guys on him. To the credit of the Pacers, I hate to give them too much credit because they've struggled with big ones forever. Jeremy Grant made some tough, tough shots especially in the mid-range shots that usually if you're an opposing team you go yeah we'll live with you taking that you know 15 footer off balance fading away whatever he made basically all of those <laughs> and that's credit to him that's not that's not to say it was it was luck he he has practiced those shots and drilled them but they are tough shots the Pacers coaxed him into some tough shots and he drilled them Jeremy Grant was awesome and this once again underscores the biggest problem the Pacers defense has had for years and years, Tyrese Halliburton talked about it after the Raptors game last week. He did again after this game. Big wings. They can't stop big wings. I don't need to beat the de beat the dead horse too much. We all know the Pacers can't defend these guys. And this is another one. Jeremy Grant. He's a good player. He's a good offensive player. He's averaging over 20 points per game. He's good. A lot of teams can't stop Jeremy Grant. But they go way over their averages against the Pacers and not just like right at it or a little above it. And it's the non-stars like Grant that do this that do star level damage to the Pacers, right? Obviously, Jason Tatum is going to cook the Pacers. He cooks every team. LeBron, all these big star wings are going to do well against every team. That's not a knock on the Pacers. What is is your Ananobis, your Harrison Barnes, your Jeremy Grants, your Gordon Haywards, all good players, to be clear. I am not trying to reduce what those players are. They're very valuable, and they'd be very valuable on the Pacers, but they do better than they normally do in games against Indiana to by a somewhat significant margin at this point. So credit to Jeremy Grant. Again, he made those shots, but the Pacers had no answers for him. And then Aiton cleaned up on the glass, made his looks. He had 22 points on 13 shots 
and 13 rebounds. So those two guys being so good in the front court really hurt the Pacers from a size perspective because Tumani Kamara wasn't that great. Matisse Thybul's defense was awesome, but he didn't make a shot. Like the Pacers had opportunities to at least go okay in the front court, but they couldn't figure it out. They had a miserable night on the offensive end, and they couldn't get enough stops, especially consecutively, to really swing this game into their favor. So despite it being close the whole time, 13 lead changes, biggest lead was between 8 and 4, depending on which team it was. Pacers were ahead at some point in every single quarter of this game, right? They were right there the whole time. They could not score enough, which was really jarring to me. And they defended very poorly, especially against the best of the best on this Portland team. Funnily enough, after seeing the game, they lost, right? So I sound dumb because yesterday I said, I think the Pacers are going to win. And I think that stylistically, they match up pretty well with Portland. I believe that even more after watching the game, right? The Blazers profile of how they got their shots and how they tried to play the Pacers was not something that I think is particularly threatening against this Pacers team. The Pacers got the shots they want on the floor and they in general kind of coaxed at least a little bit. Um, you can look at the shot charts, right? The Blazers into a good amount of mid-range shots, way more than the Pacers took. But they drilled those shots. Credit to the Blazers for doing that. And the Pacers missed what I would consider pretty good looks from them for three. On the, I don't think the Pacers made a right-wing three this whole game. Like, they just weren't going in. And I think the Blazers made every right-wing three they took the whole game. I don't need to go on and on about that forever. But you get the gist. That was a disaster for the Pacers. And post-game, you knew it. You knew it right away. And that's important, I think. The Pacers have to know this. But we heard Tyrese Halliburton say, this is a bad loss. This is a really bad loss for us, right? He said, we're just not playing well right now, if I'm being honest with you, which I think is important to reveal. They've won some games in this stretch. Like in their last seven games, they beat Milwaukee and Philly and Atlanta. Like that's nice. But they also have some crummy losses and they're not playing well he's totally right where carlisle says really poor performance uninspired in many ways and then he said we've got to start learning some lessons here the pacers know this is bad right and i think the frustrating part for them that surfaced today this is what i was prying for if you if you listen to the prying is the wrong word if you listen to the pressure you'll understand if you lose at home to a, a game you're supposed to win or a game you feel like you can win by one that happens right the pacers will steal a road game this season they already have, quite frankly. But like last year, uh, Halliburton Heroics in Boston. Halliburton Heroics in Miami. They stole a game in L.A. against the Lakers. Andrew Nemhart hit the game winner. They stole a game in Golden State against the Warriors without Halliburton, right? It does happen. Even the Pacers did it themselves. Teams go on the road and steal a win. And that can happen once at home or maybe even twice. And you're kind of like, ah, you know, that really stinks. We've got to play better. We're going to really download this game. But we'll move on. This is the NBA. We've got a lot of games. And the Pacers have kind of said that messaging before. But when it happens to you four times in the first 16 games of a season, then you stop. You, your brain changes. You you can't have that mindset of just like, ah, we'll move on. We'll get him next time. You The Bulls game was a seven-point game. It was close down the stretch. Pacers lose to Chicago at home. They scored 105 in that one. Toronto, one-point game. They lose by one. Miserable fourth quarter, comedy of errors. Charlotte, Pacers could have beat Charlotte, had a chance, ball in their hands, down one, last second shot, dribbled off his foot. Last second shot against Toronto, doesn't go in. Crunch time against the Bulls, doesn't go their way. And now another one here with the Blazers, a four-point loss with chances to tie or take the lead in the final minute and a half, I believe. I didn't really run through that earlier. I was going through an earlier part of the fourth quarter. Um, but even in the last minute and 21 seconds, 
Uh, Aaron Neesmith dunks with a minute 53 to go. So the Pacers had a chance to cut it to two with the Miles Turner through the minute 21 to go, and then a Bruce Brown three with 50 seconds to go, and they missed both. And they still got it down to two with 28 seconds left before Brogdon got all the way to the rim for a layup, right? So they were close. They were right there. Again, they lose by four. That is four games that the Pacers could, like Tyrese Halliburton said it, like we can't sit up here and think, yeah, we should have 13 wins right now. You don't. They don't. And they're frustrated. They, 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 like they changed their, to- their tone this time about how they were talking about the close loss, what it means to them, what it means to their season, what it means for their record, and why they're so wobbly. Right, Dustin Dopierak was asking about this stuff. They've now gone win loss, win loss, win loss, win loss for their last eight games. And if it weren't for the Utah San Antonio double, it would basically be the whole month of November would just be win loss, win loss. They don't have the consistency right now. They don't have it. They've had some frustrating defeats at home. They know it, and it's not good. Right, being nine and seven right now, I I think they think they should be have a better record. They just got through a stretch, like I said earlier, of Blazers, Pistons. Uh, Raptors, Hawks, Magic. The Magic are playing fantastic, to their credit. Um, but still in that stretch, it should be, if you're the Pacers, you've got to be thinking at least three wins, if not four. And they only got two. They only got two. And now they have the following stretch until December 18th. And this doesn't even include their in-season tournament games, which are going to be against good teams because they're playing teams that did well in the in-season tournament. So they play at Miami, at Miami. Then they're two or three in-season tournament games, then at Milwaukee, at Washington, at Minnesota, and then versus the Clippers. So, yes, there's a Wizards game in there. Wizards won tonight, but they played the Pistons. Everything else is tough. That's hard. That's a really hard stretch of schedule. At Minnesota is a back-to-back as well. So that's going to be really tough. They needed to take advantage of the stretch. Instead, two frustrating losses, including this one against the Blazers, with weird formulas, not enough connectivity, and they've got to be better, right? They they don't want the young team excuse, and they're not going to get it. They want to be good. They want to win. They want to be a better team, and they're not. They've got to defend better. They've got to make their shots, and they can't have a game like this where they look soulless and out of energy. They can't do that. They can't afford to, right? I, I wrote that after the Magic game, they, or I forget what game it was. Uh, the Hornets game. They can't afford nights like that if they want to be as good as they want to be. And they can't defend how they have in some of these losses if they want to be as good as they want to be. But that's what's happened. They've had games where they've come out and had stretches of okay defense. They have not had a good even 25-minute performance on the end of the floor. They have got to be better. They've got to have energy and fight in these games, or else they could just hover on 500 all season. We will see how they respond. That is to their credit. Even last year, everydayers who listen to this show all the time will remember me talking about one of the impressive things about the Pacers, especially when Halberton plays, is they respond. When he didn't play, eh, they lost a lot of games in a row. But when he played, they would respond to losses. That's good. That's encouraging. They need to respond to wins, too. <laughs> That's a big fault of this team. But they've responded well to losses. They've got two in Miami. Generally, like what happened in Philly, those end up being splits. We'll see. Miami's good. They're playing well. It's going to be tough for the Pacers when they're down there. Um, But they need to bounce back. They need to show that they have it in them to play well against a good East team and potentially an in-season tournament opponent. Uh, Jalen Smith got hurt in this game. Yikes. We'll see what comes of that, and we'll talk about that to close out today's show because that is significant. Could alter the Pacers' rotation and many more potential ripple effects if he has to miss any significant time, especially with Daniel Tice not in the fold. We will talk about that to close out today's show, but not until... I tell you all about the lovely people over 
at Prize Picks. They're making daily fantasy sports easy. You pick more than or less than on two to six player projections. Watch the winnings roll in. Nikola Jokic, more or less than 29 points or more or less than 10 rebounds. Anthony Davis, more or less than two blocks. That's it. It's that simple. It's the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy sports, winning up to 25 times your money this basketball season. You just select two more players, pick more than or less than, place your entry. They've got uh, favorite players list on prize picks like Meek Mills on there, Andrew Schultz is on there. They have combo picks across sports, so you can do Travis Kelsey and LeBron James, receptions plus threes. They have a reboot policy for injuries. It's fantastic. Check it out. PrizePicks.com slash LockedOnNBA. Use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. That's PrizePicks.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100 at PrizePicks Daily Fantasy Sports. Made easy. Thanks, y'all, for making Locked On Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Check out Locked On Heat. Get to hear from them as the Pacers play the Heat twice as this week closes out. And it could happen if the in-season tournament goes a certain way that they play the Heat three times in their next few games. We'll see if it actually shakes out that way uh, when they do play the Heat. Jalen Smith status. We'll see. Oof. Painful-looking injury. For Jalen Smith, I hate, I hate, to, I hate seeing these bend that way, and we'll see if it's even an injury. Jalen Smith, I believe it was the third quarter, maybe it was the fourth. I will try to figure it out while I'm talking. Uh, was hustling back in transition, to his credit, uh, and he fouled Scoot Henderson. Yes, it was the third quarter, um, and his knee bent weird, <laughs> very weird. Very not what you want to see if you're the Pacers. He went to the ground. He couldn't put a ton of weight on it. He got escorted back to the locker room. Um, he did not play the rest of the game, obviously. It looked gross. There's like some pictures of his knee bent the wrong way. That happens. It's called a hyperextension. Uh, so we'll see how long this is going to hold him out. The Pacers said it's a heel injury during the game, a heel contusion. I saw I, my, my guess from seeing it. From seeing how he couldn't put a weight on it and got carried off, and then that heel designation. My guess is that when it's all said and done, we're going to learn that this is an ankle injury, and then the severity is what will determine how long he's out for. Um, maybe not that long, but I still want to talk about it because it looked like it could be something here, and the Pacers have different options at center now because they bought out Daniel Tice uh, just a little under uh, two weeks ago now. So they're going to have to get creative. In the front court, without Smith, obviously Isaiah Jackson very easily became the backup five for the remainder of this game. He ended up playing ten and a half minutes. The Pacers won those minutes. They did not win Jalen Smith's minutes. They won Isaiah Jackson's minutes. He has been playing well all season. I will say it again and again and again. He has got to be kicking himself for his preseason. A chance to earn playing time, and he did not do as well as Jalen Smith. In fact, he did quite poorly. But since then, regular season, Isaiah Jackson has been great. Every single time he's needed to play, he has stepped up and performed for the Pacers. And he's now shooting much better from the field. And he's averaging a career-high rebounding number. And his block number is way a career-high per game. And he's playing fewer minutes. His per-36 numbers, best rebounds by a mile, best assists, best blocks, lowest turnovers. Right, He has just upped his level, and the advanced stats are there. Uh, and reflecting that. And so all that's to say, his defensive box plus minus is sky high compared to past seasons. If he can keep up this level, especially on defense, then that's huge. That means that the Pacers reserve center will have drop-off. Jalen Smith has 
been on fire from three this season. He's played amazing. Isaiah Jackson has not been at that level. If they miss Smith for a significant amount of time or a decent amount of time, we'll see. Yeah, Isaiah Jackson's going to have to step up. He's going to have to continue to play at the level he has when called upon this year, um, but especially so on offense, making his shots right. Most of his games, though, in fact, all but, let's see, one twice. So Isaiah Jackson has nine appearances this season. Two of them, his plus-minus was negative. All the rest, he had a positive impact. Um, one of those two was Milwaukee, where they needed him to soak up fouls. The other one was the win in Philly, where, you guessed it, they needed him to soak up fouls. Those were his two negative plus-minus games. <laughs> uh, oh, and Boston. Excuse me, he has three. That's a minus two. I can't read. But the Boston game, they got their butt kicked. Plus three in the win over the Wizards. Plus 12 in the win over the Spurs. Plus 17 against Orlando. They got smoked that game. Plus eight in Atlanta. A close game. They needed all that. Plus five against Detroit. And then tonight, of course, like I said, plus one. Right? He has given them positive impact minutes this season on both ends. He's rebounding way better. His blocks are up. He's not so jumpy on defense, although the fouls are still there. So I think that he can fill in fine. Not better than Smith, but fine. But if he gets hurt or he gets in foul trouble, which is certainly possible, his fouls per 36 are also at a career high. Oscar Shibwe, maybe? Obi Toppin played the five for those a couple stretches uh, in Philly in the fourth quarter. Or no, sorry, in the second quarter when there's a lot of foul trouble against Embiid. They turned to Obi in the fourth quarters when I was getting ahead of myself in Atlanta when the Hawks went Jalen Smith at the five. So they have had minutes where Obi's the five. I wonder if they'll ever explore Jarris at the five. But if they need some size... Shibwe would be the third big potentially. We'll see if they actually have him active for any of these games. And that's, again, if Smith is actually out for any sort of significant period of time. We don't know that yet. He could be um, um, a smaller injury kind of deal. But it certainly didn't look good. So uh, ankle injuries like that can be scary. Pacers will be kicking themselves that they went 2-3 and in the stretch, that they have these losses that they have. I mean... I don't think they played well against Chicago. Like I don't beat them up for that one the way that they do. But I do think the Charlotte, in particular, these three, the Charlotte, Toronto, Portland trio, has been killer for their like for their momentum of their season. If they win two of those, they're eleven and five, and and they could have easily done that given that they're given what their peak level has been this season. But they didn't. Instead, they're nine and seven and rolling into a tough stretch of schedule. And maybe they can respond to the tough stretch of schedule and look good. They did it last year. And with Halliburton playing, they can be in any game. But that doesn't mean they will be. And they're going to have to, have to, have to, have to play better than they did in this game. This was not what they want to be. This is not acceptable uh, levels of energy and performance. And maybe, just maybe, they'll be better in Miami on Thursday. We'll see because this was not what the Pacers wanted or needed at this point of the season. Tomorrow, a guest talking about these inconsistent Pacers. How can they be more consistent? What's the next steps for them? Thursday, another guest talking about every Pacer on the team through 16 games, plus Rick Carlisle. And then, of course, Friday, talking heat in between game one and game two. Looking forward to all that here on the Locked On Pacers podcast. Thank you for listening every day and making me a part of your day. It is the absolute pleasure of mine can't wait to do it again tomorrow i'm on twitter at tony r east this show is at locked on pacers bother me there if you think i said something stupid which i do every single day and i'm proud of it we'll be back tomorrow saying hopefully smart things with eddie garrison it's going to be a blast we're talking inconsistent pacers and why this is happening tell then everybody have a fantastic day